For our sermon text, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, one, of course, very well known to, well, most of you, and if two of you don't know it well yet, you probably will in a year or so in Sunday school, quite well, I would think. Psalm 139, tonight we are considering the first commandment. And uh, we have together already read the first commandment from Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. There's so much in Psalm 139, but I'm trying to focus our attentions tonight upon Psalm 139 as a working out in David's heart of the first commandment. So we won't be looking in the sermon at every beautiful detail of that psalm, but just be thinking as we read it, how is this a fulfillment of the first commandment? Psalm 139, this is the word of our God. For the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me in behind and before And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning... And dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak evil against you wickedly. 
Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask uh, that your word would be our tutor this evening. And that with David we would be instructed that we would be wise unto salvation and sanctified for your glory. We ask that we would see you and worship you rightly, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first commandment is uh, so very short, isn't it? I I was thinking about that because we have some children's uh, books that have the Ten Commandments paraphrased, and half of them, you look at it and you think, I don't know if that's a good paraphrase. But the first one never gets paraphrased. It's so short. It's always just stated, because it is the shortest. Well, maybe not the shortest. You shall not murder is, is pretty short. But it's one of the shorter commandments. And yet it is so all-encompassing. It's, it's broad and exceedingly big because it covers all of our lives. Uh, you can't keep any of the commandments if you're not keeping the first commandment. Uh, you, you can't uh, keep the first commandment if you're breaking any of the other commandments. It, it's a very important commandment. <clears throat> You shall have no other gods before me. The larger catechism, question 105, which I did not make you read today because it's quite long. But you can find it in the back of your hymnal. Well, actually, that's not true. It's the newer Trinity hymnals that have the larger catechism. Number 105 in the larger catechism lists over 40 ways that we can break the first commandment. There are a lot of things there. And it includes everything from being an atheist to uh, worshiping Jupiter. Those two two things aren't specified quite like that. But, But they cover the bases. Atheism is mentioned. I think that's important. You shall have no other gods before me isn't just a negative command. It's not just saying, don't worship false gods. It is commanding that we worship the true God. And so we can't say, well, I'm not worshiping any God because I don't believe in any gods. I'm not worshiping uh, Neptune, so I'm keeping the first commandment, even though I don't believe in the one living and true God. No, it, it requires that we positively worship the true God. And do so exclusively. It is a, a big commandment. I, 
I want to look at Psalm 139 tonight because I want to think about how vast in our lives and in our experience this commandment goes. And so I want to think about this in terms of two things, both of which are, are pointed to by David in this commandment. The, the first is that the first commandment is limitless. And the second is that the, the first commandment is constant. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the first commandment is limitless. We, we look at this, this phrase in Exodus 20, verse 3, and we might think the commandment does have limits. You shall have no other gods, period, we would say would be a limitless command. But we might be tempted to read the way God said it. You shall have no other gods before me and say, well, there's a limit. And you could you could do two things with that. And sadly, even commentaries sometimes have made a a big mistake here. They've said, oh, well, God must not have a big concern back then in those Old Testament days with having multiple gods as long as he's counted the first among gods. You see how they're using that phrase, before me, and they're using it somewhat like a competition, right? In the Olympics of gods, you can have a silver and a bronze, as long as the one living and true God, Yahweh, always gets the gold. You shall have no other gods above me, in other words, before me. Well, grammatically in English, maybe it works to argue that, but it doesn't in the Hebrew grammar, and it's obviously not what God is saying. In fact, uh, many places, Isaiah 40, you can go to look at, at this, God goes out of his way to tell his people to worship nothing else but him. So obviously God is not saying before me, but you can have some behind me. You can can worship the sun on a different day of the week, just not on Sunday, because I get worshipped on Sunday. Uh, But you can worship the sun and the moon other days. No. Uh, the, The other thing we could do that would limit this command with those words before me is to uh, start with understanding rightly what the words mean and then wrongly applying them because we misunderstand God, who God is. So the other way to understand the words before me, and it's right there in the larger catechism, you confessed it with me. Before me is an ancient idiom saying before my face, which is just another way of saying in my presence. You shall have no other gods in my presence. Well, what do our sinful hearts want to do with that? We want to say, as long as I compartmentalize my life, I can have other things that vie for my adoration. And right there, we're limiting it, aren't we? We especially do this with things that aren't gods, right? Well, we of course, we're not going to worship Thor 
or Venus. We're only going to worship God. But then missing the other thing that those 40 ways we can break the commandments in Westminster, they go far beyond false gods, literally, to anything in our hearts that vies for our attention. (coughs) That would have our love in the place of God. And not just in the sense of more of our love than God gets, but an inordinate amount of our love, a controlling amount of our love. The New Testament talks about that, by the way. The New Testament, uh, just to give one example, talks about whose gods is their, whose God is their, their belly. Which is why our qualification for elders, deacons, and pastors is that they not be drunks and gluttons, right? <coughs> because that's one area where we can have a God coming in the place of God. Uh, controlling our life, controlling our decisions, controlling how we live. And if we understand this before me in the presence of God, but misunderstand who God is, we might say, well, as long as I go to church on Sunday, maybe I set the whole day Sunday aside for God. And as long as I do devotions at some point throughout the week, I can worship at another altar on Friday night. We don't use that phrase. But that's what we do. We set other things higher in our affections than God. We have hearts, you've heard it, Calvin said at the beginning of Institutes of Christian Religion, our hearts are idol factories. And they hadn't invented the conveyor belt at that point in history, but isn't that what you think of when you hear that Calvin said that? Our hearts are conveyor belts in the factory of idols. If we battle against one idol, the flesh is sure to pull another idol right up in front of us very quickly. And so we'll use this as an excuse, this limit. Well, it's not in the presence of God. He still gets his time. The rest is my time. But the problem with all of this is seen in Psalm 139. And I think Psalm 139 really shows us why God included that extra phrase. He could have just said it, no other gods, period. But I think he included the before me so that we, like David and with David, would struggle through what does it mean to be in the presence of God? Where is the limit in my life where I can have another God? What corner, what closet is beyond the presence of the king? And David gets there, doesn't he? That's what he's unpacking for us. He goes to great detail in doing it. In fact, he starts with the idol factory in one sense. Because he says, there's not a word on my tongue. Where do the words on our tongues come from? From our minds, often from our hearts, our affections. We think, we emote, and then our brain takes the emotion and puts it into words. And David says, that process from the idol factory to my brain to my tongue doesn't even happen 
but you, Lord, already know what I'm about to say. I can't hide an idol here and think that you're just not going to know because you don't know till I say it. No, God knows the inward parts. And he has known the inward parts since before there were parts knit together in our mother's womb. So what part of my inner self can I hide away from God? No part. No part. And then David continues with the more outward things. Where can I go from your spirit? Flee from your presence. If I ascend into heaven... And is he talking about the heavens in, in terms of heaven where God dwells? Or is he talking about, I think in context, probably more likely the, the universe, the stars, the moon. If, if I get out there into the vast unknown, the, there's that famous comment by the Russian cosmonaut that he went out into the into space and looked down. He didn't find God. It actually turns out that he was a Christian and there was a lot more to what he said. And that uh, the the Soviet Union um, edited highly and published that he had not found God. And after the the fall of the Soviet Union, that cosmonaut came out with uh, a much more beautiful statement about not having found God. Nonetheless, uh, in the, the universe. He found what David found. That if you could even get up, up there, which to David you can't do, right? Uh, that's far beyond us. And yet, if you get up there, what do you find? You find the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, you cannot escape his presence. He's still there. Or... In contrast to being up there, if he makes his bed in hell, or that could be Sheol, so it could be the grave. In other words, if I go six feet under, if I journey to the center of the earth, maybe in the center of the earth, I will find somewhere where God is not, and I can have my idols hidden away. And David says, no, if I make my bed Even down there, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, the imagery he's talking about is that of an eagle in its high, eerie, high up above. You think of the the glorious mountains that you have to, we humans sometimes have to use technology to get air to even climb up and half the time people die anyway. That high up and the eagle's have to soar up to get that high from their eeries. And David says, if I, if I went that high, would I be above the presence of God? No, you'd be there too. What if I go into the depths of the sea? He's there too. You see what David does with the first commandment for us here? He shows us that the commandment is limitless. There is nowhere and no place that you can go and hide your idol from God.
I believe it was Rachel who had that idol hidden away in her saddlebag. Her father Laban came to look for it, and he didn't find it because she played a, a trick that would stump any man. I don't want don't to go near her this time of the month. But that idol wasn't hidden from God, was it? It's recorded in Genesis. He knew, even if Laban didn't. There's nowhere we can hide our idols from God. Because there's nowhere we are not in the presence of the king. And what God is saying with the first commandment in that phrase, in part, is that all idols must be exiled. That's the way kings would have used that phrase before me often in a throne room. If you committed treason, for example, you, you'd probably be killed. But maybe you're a younger brother of the king and he doesn't want to make mom mad or something like that. And so he exiles you. He would say, you shall never again be before my face. Meaning, if the king goes and he visits the town that you live in, you better not be there that day. And you're never allowed again into the capital. So when God says here, no idols, no other gods in my presence, he is exiling all else that would be the object of our worship from every area of our life and every corner of the universe. It's a limitless command. And then I also want us to consider that this is a constant command. What do I mean by constant? Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that something is a one-time event. I've decided to follow Jesus. A one-time declaration, right? And you, you've made a decision, and, and then what? You have 50 more years, 80 more years. Joshua understood this first command as a constant command. I'm not going to read all of it, but you could read Joshua chapter 24. One of the last things we have from the man Joshua is a speech he gives to Israel when they've come into the promised land. I'm going to read just a few of the verses to you here. Joshua 24, verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. I also sent Moses and Aaron and plagued Egypt according to what I did among them, Afterwards, I brought you out. And then verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods 
which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua emphasizes the importance of a daily, a daily choice, we could say, a daily endeavor to keep the first commandment. They have plenty of other gods to choose from. They have gods they inherited in Egypt. They have gods that they can inherit in Canaan. Remember, God gave them houses they did not build. What do you think were in those houses? There were plenty of Amorite gods right there, Baal and Asherah. Pretty fun worship times they had. And Joshua says, choose, but I will serve the Lord. And the people say, when you read the rest of that passage, the people say, we will serve the Lord. It is good to us. To serve the Lord. They chose that day, didn't they? And then you flip a page or two. And you read, And Joshua was barely cold in his grave. That's a paraphrase. And the people followed the gods of the nations. They chose one day, but then they went back on it. Think of godly King Hezekiah and that amazing uh, Passover. We, we read about it with Bill this morning in the Old Testament. The amazing Passover hadn't been kept like that since King David's day. And all these people came to worship. But what happened when Hezekiah died? Where are all those people then? It, it's a constant command. It's a command we must challenge ourselves with daily. And we find in Psalm 139 that David is doing that very thing. He declares boldly at the end that he hates those who go after other gods or who hate God. But then he asks God to search his own heart. Why? Because there might be wicked ways in him. Because David might have an idol he thought he could hide. Search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is saying, there's no limit to your commandment to have no other gods but you. But there is a need for me to constantly be searched by you. And a need for your spirit to reveal to me constantly how much I break your law. It's a short commandment, isn't it? But it's a big commandment. We need to be aware with David that there's no aspect and no place in our life that is not in the presence of God. We must not worship any but him. But we must worship him. And so we need him to constantly be holding us close and drawing us near lest we wander away to other gods. There's one other thing then we need to consider with this. 
briefly, very briefly. No other gods. Worship only the Lord your God. As of the Incarnation, this commandment can only be kept as we worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. To worship apart from our New Testament knowledge of the Holy Trinity is not to worship the one living and true God. Remember what Christ says. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes before the face of the Father in worship that's acceptable except through me. But if you've seen me, you've seen the face of the Father in essence, he says. And so we need to be clear in our minds that Christ, Christ is the way the way through which we worship God and keep the first commandment. Let's pray.